four-week season. Uh, the message in the morning is replicated in the evening. And uh, we're talking tonight about people. And uh, the, uh, the clip there was sort of reminding us that so very often uh, we can be so keen to get to church that actually we forget to be the church. And uh, that man must have had six opportunities to help somebody, to be kind, uh, to be considerate, and he failed the test every time and then walked into church to worship his God. And uh, over the last uh, two Sundays, we, we've talked about getting in the groove. We've talked about the need of one another, about teamwork, about the fact that uh, God works in, in a number of certain ways. And as I was just looking at the choir again tonight, and uh, it, was, it was brilliant this morning, and it was brilliant tonight, and thank you for everybody that's practiced hard, uh, because... I think the sure sign was that you'd ministered well this morning is at the end of the, song, uh, the service. We all knew the song. and we, uh, That said, courtesy of John, I've listened to it about 73 million times in the car this week so that Sharon's just been prepared for, for tonight. But uh, it, is a, it is a great song. And uh, what I loved about tonight was that it said everything about Arena Church in microcosm because that was a multi-generational choir. And uh, just, just awesome, right across the ages of people that are entering in to what God is doing. And we've had a great day. And uh, it was tremendous this morning to uh, have, as part of our visionary Sunday that homed in on people, the very reality of life's being changed and the expression of that in baptism. And as Christians already said, uh, the, the, the testimonies were so powerful, they were so clear, and they've ministered to so many people today. And uh, without going there, Again tonight, I, I really do feel there was a prophetic dynamic in terms of what took place because um, the Mansfield Church as we know it, Arena Church, has been on the journey now for just over a year. And uh, we've had some obstacles that have tried to be in the way at times. We even got locked out of Field Mill last winter, if you remember. Not our fault, but a dispute between the, the then owner and the would-be owner. And there have been many challenges on the way, but it was just great this morning that particularly from this side of Arena Church, people were expressing their heart to God in baptism. And I really do believe that we've put a stake in the ground. We've established a bridgehead. And God's going to do that again and again and again and again. Because as Christian encouraged us in worship tonight, friends, it is not just about this. Thank God for this. But there is so much more that God wants us to do. And we just need to lift our eyes and see all that he wants to do. And so... Uh, Luke chapter 4 and verse 43, and I'll read verse 42 as well. And he says, At daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom to the other towns also, because this or that is why I was sent. The context, friends, is that Jesus had been ministering, he'd been, he'd been uh, expressing his anointed uh, call uh, right there in Luke 4. And he'd been ministering and speaking with the people, and the people wanted to contain him. They wanted just to keep it, as it were, nice, and just Jesus with them. But Jesus said, I can't allow that to happen, because I've got to reach out to other people and declare the good news message of Jesus. And uh, as we've talked about getting in the groove as Christian brought us that powerful searching word last week about the very foundation of Christian discipleship being death as we die we live as we give it away as we find it so tonight we can sum up what we're trying to say in the title of vision three it's all about people and therefore to go and grow 
Now you might say, actually, that seems pretty obvious that it's all about people. But here's the challenge to Arena Mansfield. Because for some churches, it is about people, but they've lost the dynamic of going and growing. In other words, they have become contained. They have sort of said, let's just keep it as it is. They have settled for the status quo. Because when it's all about people, for other people to engage with that, it brings inconvenience, it brings challenge, and it brings all the, the uh, uh, issues of the journey of growing church that come right to our lives. But the prophetic mandate upon this church is that we would continue to grow. That we'd continue to reach out to other people. That we'd continue to believe that God will bring others to where we want to live and where we want to do life. It wasn't so long ago that I was in a Sunday night congregation ministering somewhere else. I took somebody from this church with me. He was just about to sit down in the chair. You think I'm making it up? I, I wish I was. He's just about to sit down in the chair when somebody says, Oi! That's where I sit. And it was like that, you know. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, we both said sorry, you know. You know, Robin sort of, well, perhaps we should have said sorry. But, you know, and this lady sat down because, oi, that's where I sit. Now, that church might say it's about people, but it's lost it, friends. It's lost. Because he could have been somebody I've been sharing with for six months in an office. He could have been my next door neighbor who would eventually said, Phil, I'll come to church with you. And the first night I bring him to church, he's just about, oi. I sit there. And friends, that's not this sort of church. There's no special seat for anybody. We don't go around saying, Oi, I sit here. We're just glad when people come. If we've got to put more chairs out, we'll put them out. If we've got to stand at the back, we'll stand at the back. If we've got to be inconvenienced, we'll be inconvenienced. Because it really is all about people. Jesus says, don't contain me. Because I've got to go and share the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns. In other words, to more people. And I just want to encourage us to capture the heart of the Lord tonight, friends. And for us to determine over the next few minutes of ministering, and as Christian leads us in prayer at the end, that we really have, again, affirmed in our hearts that it's about people, this church, and it's about a church that wants to continue to go and to grow. Someone said once that the church exists for those that have not yet joined. And there's a sort of pastor-teacher side of me that says, it's partly true, you know, because we've got to equip the saints. We've got to feed the flock of God. We've got to look after those that are already here. And we want to do all of those things. And I tell you, we're passionate about that. But I want to camp at that phrase as well. I want to keep running to it because the church really does exist for all those that have not yet joined. The reality is, friends, that in a population in the United Kingdom... Of over 60 million people, around about 54 million of them today haven't done what we've done. There's a lot of people out there that Jesus still loves and what he wants to bring in. Here's something else. I read this week in the national press, a survey that was done, that 70% of the population of our country still claim to be Christian. They did a, 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 just a, 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 across many thousands of people said, we're Christian. We, we, we accept the, the, the Ten Commandments as the tenant of how we do life. And we've got to somehow, friends, asking these days that God will help us to connect this to that so that these people come and find a rela- living relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all about people. It's not about buildings. 
It really isn't. It's not about architecture. I'll be sensitive to what I say tonight, but when we began this journey of Arena Mansfield, one or two folk left us pretty quickly on the basis of this wasn't a proper church. Well, don't tell, well, he's been, so he says the bar's all right, so John Partington's okay with that. All right, but, but you know, but the reality, the reality is, friends, that if you are defining church by a building, this is not a proper church. But then Arena Ilkeston is not a proper church. And the Boswell Street side is not a proper church. Because what is a proper church? Well, most people, maybe a lot of that 70% of people that said they're Christians, would say that a proper church is a steeple, is stained glass windows, is a bloke at the front with a funny frock on and a dog collar the wrong way around, who speaks in a rather nice voice like nobody else speaks in the whole of the church. But he sort of defines himself by that, by speaking like this. And that's a proper church. And friends, nobody's going to it. Nobody's going to it. In fact, if you said to people, describe that church, well, we're not going because it's boring. And please hear me, if you're sort of Anglican in sort of background, I've got loads of Anglican friends and I'm not having a pop at them. There's some great Anglican churches around. But the reality is what people see and perceive as the church isn't working. God, friends, is raising up a warrior people in these days that really understand what church is about. It's the spirit that we've captured here tonight. And if it offends your religiosity because, well, you're not supposed to clap and cheer in church, who says? As I read the Psalms, I just find it exploding again and again and again and again with incredible praise to God. You know, this morning when, the, when, when, when Russ and Lynn and Martin and Morgan got, got baptized as a, as a sporting sort of player, I just felt it was like scoring the goal and the cheer that went up every time is we scored another goal for the kingdom. There's another one here at the back of the net and it was just brilliant. And what happens when, when the ball is the back of the net? People cheer. You know, we went out yesterday because we got Sharon's brother with us from Australia. But before we went out, we watched England beat Scotland. Sorry, Margaret. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we were absolutely dire for about 78 minutes. And then all of a sudden, we scored a try. And Ruth says, she was on the phone to somebody. She said, oh, Phillips, sort of, I was off the chair. Come on. <laughs> it's only a try, guys. These people have come out of darkness into light. Once they were lost, but now they were found. And God's building a kingdom. He's building a church that reflects it. It's not defined by a building. It really isn't. And friends, I've said it so many times over the years, but church is people. It meets in buildings. And the Kevin Bird suite on a Sunday night in Field Mill Mansfield for the last year has become holy ground. It really has. Because we've defined the atmosphere because the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. I know that the previous day sometimes there's been a home game. There's been plenty of beer and wine swilling in this room. It makes not a jolly difference to God. The people of God pitch up. We begin to declare his praise. The music starts and God comes. It's not a building. It's not a style. It's not a preference. It's not an organization. It's not, a, it's not, church is not about you getting every nuance of doctrinal accuracy and to get everybody else to agree with you. Because guess what? Not everybody else will agree with you. God will bring people across your path at times that say, I don't actually see it like that. Just to test your heart. Just to test your heart. It's not about winning the argument and the debate and losing the person. It's not about minutes. Julie does an awesome job taking our minutes at executive meetings. So awesome that sometimes even the same night we've got them through the computer back to us. 
But I understand at times it's taken us hours to create minutes. It really is. <laughs> We've had some late meetings, Christian. <laughs> it's about people. It's about big people and little people. It's about people that run companies and people that haven't got a job. It's about wealthy people and poor people. It's about people whose first language is not English. And it really is a surprise, a revelation to some people to understand that God's not faced by Swahili, Spanish, Italian, Japanese, Chinese. He loves all of it. He's not a white Christian. He's spirit. He's God. It's not about friend. It's about different colored skins. It's about young and old. It's about married and single. It's about people that have gone on journeys, difficult journeys, where sometimes relationships are broken and they begin to find wholeness again in Jesus. It's about people that go to school and people that go to work. It's about blue-collar workers and white-collar workers. It's about male and female. Everybody with a value. It's about people. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 2 and verse 11 that God has no favorites. Do they still have teacher's pet at school? Because, you know... You start out, oh, he's teacher's pet. I bet you were, Andy. How are you? That is genetic. Oh, I see. So, so Morgan is teacher's pet. See, because we're, we're biased. We're less than perfect. We run to certain people and say, I like them. I'm not so sure about them. But God's not like that. We can't define our love by God's love. He really doesn't have any favorites. And I want to say tonight that some of you really need to deal with that in your heart. Because sometimes you feel that God blesses people more than you. That they're more worthy than you. That they're more blessed than you. That they're better than you. But he's got not any favorites. Right across the sweep of this room tonight, friends, God loves every one of us absolutely equally all the same. It's a miracle. And only God could do it. And the Bible says in Galatians, friends, that our identity in Jesus is found through faith. It's not found through anything else. It really isn't. And if you read that carefully, you'll find that it's talking about the fact that we're sons of Abraham in faith. It's not defined by where you're born. I'm tempted to go off on one tonight, friends, but it's not defined as to whether you're born in Israel or not, even today. It's nothing to do with it. It's to do with whether you're a son and daughter of the faith. That's what's important. Wherever you're born. And we're believing, friends, in these days for a great revival in Israel, but also in Russia and in China and in Scandinavia and in, the, in, in Latin America because God has no favors. Something changed at the cross, friends. He had a special people that pointed us to Jesus, pointed us to his purposes. And something changed. The gospel came to all people. So, friends, in this thing called people, there's no room for racism or chauvinism or feminism or ageism or elitism or separatism. And to the shame of the church over 2,000 years, there have been groups and people and denominations that have sought to come up, friends, at times with proof texts to justify all of those things. One group even calls themselves the brethren. Amazingly, some ladies go to it, you know. But, uh, but to, you know, and so we go on. And the reality is that all the proof texts under scr- closer scrutiny do not stand up to the test. 
The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all will come to repentance. He longs to everyone to be saved. 1 Peter 2, 4, and come to a knowledge of the truth. And then there are many pictures in the Bible that describe this, this thing called people and the church. It's described as a body. And the hand can't say to the, the, to, the, to the foot, I don't need you. There's an interconnectedness. It's described as a building. It's described as a bride preparing itself for the wonderful day when they will be united with the groom, Jesus. It's described as an army. A group of believers that will take on the powers of darkness, that will pray, that will believe, that will press through. It's described as living stones bound together by the mortar of the Spirit. Everyone finding their fit and place to build a mighty edifice to the glory of God. Not a literal edifice, but something that only God could divine. By a people. It points to a togetherness. And it's awesome when it works. And I'm proud, friends, to belong to a church whose heart is after that. I'm proud to belong to a place where every one of us is finding a value. Somebody came up to me this morning and says, we've just got on another level, haven't we? It's just incredible to work as a team. And I want to say that, you know, those 930s Christian are really working. And, uh, and uh, you know, just for us to come together and set the day and pray. I was praying with Keith Crabtree last week. I was praying with Hank this week. I was praying with somebody else the week before. Just coming together, different people finding their place in the body of Christ. I read this this week. And it was written particularly over Western Christians. It says many of them are in, impacted by a virulent virus. It's called radical individualism. In other words, I'm going to do my Christian faith on my own, my way. And the Bible knows nothing of a solitary belief system. The person went on to say that every renewal and revival in the history of time has been manifested through a people of God, a body of Christ that manifests the glory of God to the world. See, you can't do it on your own. God brings us together, friends. And I want to say, I don't want to hype it, I want to say, friends, that God is at work in this place. God's going to do something amazing for the glory of God, and he's going to do it through a group of people. And so tonight, as I bring the second half of the message to a conclusion, why such a priority on people? Well, three very, very simple truths. Number one, because God sees people that are lost. Luke chapter 19 and verse 10. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are religious. Now, I didn't come for them. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are spiritually inclined. Now, I didn't come for them. Jesus came to seek and to save those that are lost. And very often the Bible describes us as sheep. It doesn't do it disrespectfully, but it often defines us. If you watched a flock of sheep at times then you'll know that very often the characteristics you see in that flock are similar to how we live our lives. The psalmist and and the prophet Isaiah talk about sheep that have strayed. The prophet Ezekiel talks about sheep that have wandered. Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 19 describes sheep that are harassed. And he goes on to say that they are sheep without a shepherd. Jeremiah the prophet talks about sheep that are lost. A few years ago now, I went to southeast Italy to a, a city called Taranto on a, on a missions trip. And uh, it was a busy time, but this particular morning we didn't have a meeting. And so I decided to go out for a run and got hopelessly, totally, completely lost. 
Now, my scanner is normally pretty good. And I'm still driving through. I've drove through that spaghetti junction a lot of times now. I've still not done it with a sat-nav. You know. And, uh, but this day, the scanner wasn't working. I had no money on me. I had no mobile phone. In fact, I didn't even know the address of where we were staying, which was perhaps not particularly sort of bright. And for four hours, I wandered. And the more I wandered, the worse it got. It was scary. It was debilitating. It was lonely. It was frightening, particularly when my hands and arms began to swell because I'd completely sort of run out of juice. I eventually stumbled into the Italian police station and they thought I'd arrived from Albania and was looking for asylum or something. Uh, but the word had got out and there was an off-duty police officer that was a member of the church and a phone call went through to him and he came down on his motorbike and I've just never been so pleased to see a policeman in all my life. And friends, when I laid on my bed some days later, I thought about the fact that outside of Jesus, whatever I experienced that morning, being lost outside of God is a thousand million times worse because it affects us forever and ever and ever and ever. And all across our nation today, friends, we see people that are lost, sheep without a shepherd, no correction in their lives, no direction, no moral compass, no intention, no destiny, no purpose, no verve, no reason to get up, no purpose to live. And the Bible tells us that Jesus laid down his life for such sheep. God sees people that are lost, but he also sees people that are loved. Wouldn't it be terrible if I close the Bible and says, Christian, God sees people that are lost over to you, mate. Perhaps you can finish the service off. But there's good news. Jesus says, don't contain me. I've got to go to the other towns to tell them the good news of the kingdom. Because not only are people lost, but God sees people that are loved. It's an agape love. It's a love that's not just emotional, just not on a whim, but it rests in the will. God soul of the will that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. You may say, Phil, I don't feel loved at times by God. I'm not even sure if I'm worthy of it. And right now, the list is sort of reeling through, like a tape through your mind. The things that you said, the relationships that perhaps you've got yourself involved in at times, the lack of integrity that you showed on occasions. And so it goes on and on. I don't feel that I deserve God's love. It's nothing to do with that. God says he loves you anyway. And maybe tonight you're a believer and you feel sometimes that you've messed up and got it completely wrong. And the little whisper to your heart negatively is, there's no way back. There's no way back for you. You've gone too far. There is no way back. Philip Yancey says it far better than I could in one of the books that he wrote, a brilliant American modern-day author, Christian author. He says, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more. And there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. He loves us. And I, I just feel again and again, friends, that God just wants to wash over us with his love. He can deal with issues in a moment when we just receive his love. You see, he loves us individually. He loves us unconditionally. He loves us continually. He just goes on loving us. Sometimes when we stumble and fall, the Bible says we'll not be cast down because the Lord upholds us with his hand. Why? Because he loves us. The Bible says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Why? Because he loves us. He loves us. He loves us. Karl Barth was an amazing theologian, early 20th century theologian. He wrote many books, had a brilliant mind, could, could uh, give an expose on the character of God like few other people in the world. 
And one day he gathered with a group of students and they said, Mr. Barth, I wonder if you could just explain to us what is the, the basic foundation of your faith? And they were expecting to spend the next hour just hearing Barth talk about perhaps transcendence or maybe some great attribute of the character of God. And he says, well, really, it's defined as simply as this. And he quoted an old little children's song. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. And friends, I, I, I encourage people to delve into the Bible and to go on a journey and to... And, 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 to, and to stretch ourselves and to think about the things of God. But I tell you, never at the expense of his understanding that he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. God sees people that are lost. God sees people that are loved. And finally, God sees people that can know life. John 10.10, 10, the first part says, The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And of course, that's speaking of the work of the enemy. And week after week, Christian and myself and staff members at church are confronted with people who the enemy has sought to do exactly that to. All over Mansfield tonight, friends, the enemy is seeking to kill and to steal and to destroy people's lives. But Jesus says later on in that verse that I am come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. A superabundance of life. Does it mean we'll never get any problems? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that sometimes we might have to navigate some issues? No, it doesn't mean that. But a superabundance of knowing that we have found life. And in our modern celebratory driven culture, friends, so often people say, well, if you earn lots of money, that will find life. If you win the X Factor, then that will find life. You probably already worked out who's going to win it, some of you. But, 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 um, but the reality is, friends, so if, if we break through, and I tell you, I was just watching a few of those kids last night crying and weeping, desperate to break through. It was getting to me because the desperation was almost too much. If we win this, then everything will be solved. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was watching Simply Red and Mick Hucknell, and amazing how many people came up to me after and said, oh, I didn't know you were a Simply Red fan, but I like Simply Red, you know. And... Uh, Watching Mick Hucknall, and of course the band's disbanded, and uh, Mick Hucknall playing a few songs for the band and beginning to talk about his life, and some of you may have read about his life. And, uh, he's lived uh, quite a life. Hundreds of relationships with women, and I use that word as a euphemism. Drank himself silly on many occasions, but was absolutely desperate to get to the top of the musical profession, which he did, and he said these words... On the TV show, he says, when I got to the top of the mountain, there was nothing there. Nothing there. And friends, so many people have chased the top of the mountain in terms of their career, their fame, their fortune, and when they've got there, there's nothing there. Billy Graham says, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every one of our hearts that only God can fill. We have been made for communion with God in Jesus and the paradox is this, as we saw this morning, people burying their lives in Jesus, in baptism. As you lose your life, you find it. As we heard last week, as you die, you live. As you give things away, God blesses. Friends, this is the upside down principles of the kingdom. And it works every time. Last week we heard a quote from C.T. Studd. And as Christian said at the time, he's, he's a hero of mine that, 1971, I, I won a, last year at school, 40 years ago this year, last school, amazing. I was three. And, uh, you know, and, 
And the opportunities for university and A-levels and all that just wasn't the same then, 16 off to work. But I won a prize at the speech day in the last year for, for coming top in religious education. And um, I won Norman Grubb's classic autobiography on CT Stud, read it, devoured it, read it many times since. Just an amazing man of the late 19th century, a sporting hero, a man of aristocratic background who gave all that away for the cause of people. It's all about people. Went to China and India. And you heard the quote last week, if Jesus Christ be God and gave his life for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Still the motto of the Bible college that was founded by Stud all those years ago. But let me give you another one, which is a favorite of mine because it reflects his heart. He says, some Christians wish to live within the sound of church or chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. He got it. It was all about people. And friends, when people come to this church as we go and grow, sometimes we'll be inconvenienced because sometimes somebody will sit in your seat and you'll be tempted to say, Oi, I'll sit there. I just encourage you not to do it. I encourage you to say, You're welcome. You can sit in any chair you like at any time because it's all about people. And I'm, I'm glad to belong to a church that's not lost that. I'm glad to belong to a church that's not gone in on itself. I'm glad to belong to a church that carries the spirit of Jesus that won't be confined, but determines to press out to speak the good news of Jesus to other towns and to other places because this is why we have been sent. When service closes tonight on your way out, there'll be a little card for you to receive. There's just names for three people to write there. And it's just an encouragement from Arena Church for you to pray for those people. And at the bottom, it's got text, call, email, coffee, lunch. Just a reminder to perhaps do one of those things sometime soon with somebody that you've got a heart for. You're not going to hit them over the head with a Bible from 50 feet to prove that you're a Christian. You're not even going to get involved in spiritual language necessarily on that occasion. But just connecting with people in your world who God sees as lost, who he loves with a passion that they may find life. We need to get in the groove. We need to give our lives away for the sake of God. And tonight, friends, on the third night of our vision series, which Christian draws to a conclusion next week, I want to remind us again, really remind us, because I'm convinced that most churches... Don't live here, sadly. That it's all about people. People who God sees are lost. But people who God says are loved. And people who God says can know a super abundance of life. I wonder if you'll commit to going on that journey with God again. So that we might go and grow. By continually confessing that Arena Church, Mansfield and in all the other places that God will lead us in the days ahead, really is a priority that is called people. Thank you.